Chapter Nineteen, The Children of the Sun God of the Lost City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lost City, by Joseph E. Badger Jr. Chapter Nineteen, The Children of the Sun God. No difficulty whatever was experienced in reaching that retreat, and a milder prisoner never knew a guard than Ixtli proved himself to be, silently yielding to each impulse lent his arm by Waldo, smiling when, as sometimes happened, he was brought more nearly face to face with that armed rear-guard. Nor were the Gillespie brothers worried by sound, sign, or token of more serious trouble from others of that strangely surviving race and it was not long after reaching the rendezvous from which the professor had sailed in the early dawn that the youngsters agreed the echoes of their winchesters could not have reached the ears of the lost city inhabitants that's plenty good luck for one soup bunch quoth waldo yet adding a dubious shake of the head as he gazed upon their bronzed companion and if it wasn't for this gentleman in masquerade costume ixtli friend Ixtli feel like heart-brother, came in low, mellow accents from those smiling lips. There certainly was not of guile or of evil craft to be read in either eyes or visage, just then. But then the brothers could not feel entirely at ease, even yet. How many times had warriors of his color played a cunning part, only to end all by blow of tomahawk, thrust of knife, or bolt from the bended bow? At a barely perceptible sign from Bruno, his brother drew apart, leaving their white elephant by himself, yet none the less under a vigilant guard. "'He seems all right, in his way,' muttered the elder Gillespie. "'But how far ought we to trust him, after what we promised Uncle Phaeton?' "'Not quite as far as we can see him, anyway. Still, a fellow can't find the stomach to bowl him over like a hare, without a weeny bit of excuse, at least.' "'That's it. If he tried to bolt or would even jump on one of us, it would come far more easy. Look at him smile now, and I hate to think of clapping such a bright-seeming lad in bonds.' "'Time enough for all that when he shows us cause,' quickly decided Waldo, with a vigorous nod of his curly pow. "'Pity if a couple of us can't keep him out of mischief without going that far. And we want to pump the kid dry before Uncle Phaeton gets back, understand?' Bruno gave a slight start at these words, but his eye-glow and face-flush bore witness that the idea thus suggested had not been unthought of in his own case. "'Then you really think—' "'That there's more ways than one of skinning a cat,' oracularly observed Waldo. "'Without showing it too mighty plainly, one of the other of us can always be ready and prepared to dump the laddie buck, in case he tries to come any of his dittos.' And, at the same time, we can be hugging up to him just as sweetly as though we knew he was on the dead level. Understand? Possibly the program might have been a little more elegantly expressed, but Waldo, as a rule, cared more for substance than form, and his speech possessed one merit, that of perspicuity. Having reached this fair understanding, the brothers dropped there aside, and moved nearer the young Aztec. Ixtli gazed keenly into first one face, then the other, plainly enough endeavouring to read the truth as might be expressed therein, as related to himself. What he saw must have proved fairly satisfactory, since he gave another bright smile, then spoke in really musical tones. 
"'Good. Brother, now. That more good, too.' In spite of the suspicions which seem inborn where people of the red race are concerned, both Bruno and Waldo felt more and more drawn towards this remarkable specimen of a still more remarkable tribe, and not many more minutes had sped by ere the younger couple were chatting together in amicable fashion, although finding some little difficulty in Exley's rather limited vocabulary. Not a little to his elder brother's impatience, Waldo apparently took a deeper interest in the recent adventure than in the subject which claimed his own busiest thoughts, but he hardly cared to crowd the youngster, lest he make matters even worse. Aided by the sort of freemasonry which naturally exists between lads of an adventurous nature, Waldo readily succeeded in picking up considerable information from the Aztec, even before broaching that all-important matter. Ixley was the only son of a famed warrior and chieftain of the Aztecan clans, by name Azotl, or the Red Heron. He, in common with so many of his people, had witnessed the approach and abrupt departure of the strange bird in the air, and had hastened forth in quest of the monster. He failed to see aught more of the strange creature, but, disliking to return home without something to show for the trip, remained out overnight, then chanced to fairly stumble into the way of a mighty grizzly. There were a few moments during which he might possibly have escaped through headlong flight, but he was too proud for that, and, but for the timely arrival and prompt action on the part of his white brothers, would almost certainly have paid the penalty with his life. Then followed more thanks and broken expressions of gratitude, all of which Waldo magnanimously waved aside as wholly unnecessary. "'Don't work up a sweat for a little thing like that, old man. Of course we saw you were an Injun, and, ahem, I mean, how in time did you happen to catch hold of our lingo so mighty pat, laddie buck?' "'My brother means to ask, who taught you to speak as we do, Ixley?' amended Bruno, catching at the wished-for opportunity now it offered." "'And who was that nice little gal with the yellow hair? "'Is she—what do you call her—Gladys and the rest of it, Edgecombe?' Waldo was eager enough now that the ice was fairly broken, but his very volubility served to complicate matters rather than to hasten the desired information. Ixley apparently thought in English pretty much as he spoke it, slowly and with care. When hurried, his brain and tongue naturally fell back upon his native language— Sounds issued through his lips, but, despite all their animation, these proved to be but empty sounds to the eager brothers. And divining the truth, Bruno checked his brother, himself acting as questioner, pretty soon striking the right chord, after which Ixley fared very well. Still, thanks to his difficulty in finding the right words with which to express his full meaning, it took both time and patience for even Bruno to learn all he desired, and even if such a course would be desirable— Lack of space forbids giving a literal record of questions and answers, since the general result of that cross-examination may be put so much more compactly before the generous reader. The first point made clear was that the young Aztec owed his imperfect knowledge of the English language to certain children of the sun, whom he named as if christened, Victo and Gladi. With this as starting point, the rest formed a mere question of time and perseverance. Growing in animation as he proceeded, Ixley told of the coming to their city of those glorious children, 
riding upon the wings of an awful storm, yet issuing unharmed, unawed, bright of face as the mighty orb the sons of Anahuac worshipped. He told how an envious few held to the contrary, that these fair skins had come as evil emissaries from still more evil Miglantwetli, mighty lord of Deathland, who had laden them with pestilence and brain-sorrow and eye-darkness, with orders to devastate this, the last fair city of the ancient race. With low, sternly suppressed tones, the young warrior went on to tell of what followed. Of the wicked attempt made by those malcontents to punish the bearers of death and misery, then, his voice rising and growing more clear, he told how, from a clearing sky, there came a single shaft flung by the mighty hand of the great god Quetzalcoatl, before which the impious dog went down in everlasting death. "'Struck by lightning, eh?' interrupted Waldo, who seemed born without the influence of poetry. "'Served him mighty right, too!' Bowing submissively, although it could be seen he scarcely comprehended just what those blunt words were meant to convey, Ixley spoke on, seemingly with perfect willingness, so long as the adored son-children formed the subject-matter. From his laboured statement, Bruno gathered that the sudden death of one who had dared to lift an armed hand against the woman so mysteriously placed there in their very midst awed all opposition to the general belief in the divine origin of mother and child, and ere long Victor was installed as a sort of high priestess of the temple more especially devoted to the sun-god. That was long ago, and when Ixley was but a child— as he grew older and his father, Red Heron, was appointed as chief of guards to the sun-children, Victo took more notice of the lad, and ended in teaching him both the English tongue and its Christian creed, so far as lay in his power to comprehend. Then came less pleasing information concerning the children of the sun, which went far to prove that the death of one evil-minded dog had not entirely purged the lost city, and it was with harsher tones and frowning brows that Ixtli spoke of the head-priest, or Papa, Lacopa, the evil-minded, who had built up a powerful and dangerous sentiment against both Victor and Gladi, even going so far as to declare before the holy stone of sacrifice that the mother of gods demanded these falsely titled children of the sun. "'The fair-faced god must come soon or too late,' sighed the Aztec, bowing his head in joined palms the better to conceal his evident grief. "'He has promised to come, but hurry. They die! They die!' This was hardly an acceptable stopping-point, but questioning was of little avail just then. Satisfied of so much, the brothers drew apart a short distance, yet keeping where they could guard their more or less dangerous charge, conversing in low tones over the information so far gleaned from the Aztec's talk. "'Well, we'll hold a tight grip on him anyway, until Uncle Phaeton gets back,' finally decided Waldo, speaking for his brother as well. End of chapter 19